with Robo Hub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the RoboHub podcast. Today we'll be hearing how some of the smallest robots around may one day help treat disease and eliminate the need for surgery. Micro or nanobots have the potential to be used in medicine inside human bodies in order to perform tasks or deliver medication. But one of the key difficulties for using such robots in human bodies is that our bodies are dense and complex and very difficult to navigate. Another challenge is powering and actuating of these bots inside our bodies. Furthermore, there's a lack of good models in which to test these bots to ensure they work as expected. Our interviewer Mawa spoke to Professor Per Fischer from the University of Stuttgart and the Micro, Nano and Molecular Systems Lab at the Max Planck Institute for Intelligent Systems in Germany. They discuss how Professor Fischer's team are tackling and overcoming some of the challenges around micro and nanobot technology for medical applications, including navigation, power and testing, and how such bots might change medicine in future. Hello and welcome to Hot Podcasting. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Pierre Fischer. I'm a professor of physical chemistry at the University of Stuttgart in Germany, and I head the Micro, Nano and Molecular Systems Lab at the Max Planck Institute for Intelligent Systems in Stuttgart. Could you please tell us more about your research insights? The lab's research is to use uh, physics and chemistry to understand uh, the fundamental principles that govern the operation of motors and machines at very small length scales, and then to invent and come up with new engineering principles to build artificial systems at micro and nanoscales. What are techniques you use for fabricating the nanomicro systems? So the methods we use, they vary, they depend on size. The, at the very, very smallest scales, we actually use molecules and enzymes. So this is incredibly small. This is on the um, one nanometer length scale. Then we use nanofabrication techniques that we've developed in my lab to build uh, complex hybrid particles which can be chemically active. And that gets us sort of from the 10 nanometer to several hundred nanometer scale. Then we can build magnetic structures that we can actuate. That gets us in the, in the length scales of uh, below a micron to several microns. And then we also work on acoustic type actuation that gets us from 100 microns to several hundred micron or millimeter. So depending on uh, what we're doing with the object, uh, we use different fabrication methods. The light can change geometric shape of the least micro nanosystems. Could you please explain how the light works? Yes, yeah, so the work on the light-based microswimmer basically uses a property of molecules and the molecules are similar to the kind of liquid crystal type molecules that you find in a computer screen. These are long uh, rod-like molecules that align and one can not only align these molecules but one can kind of 
connect them, interconnect them to make an elastic medium. And the trick now is that we can use light to change a chemical configuration. We can also use light because the molecules can absorb heat to warm the material. And so the combined action of changing the molecular conformation and the warming causes these very nicely ordered rod-like molecules to change the order. And by changing the order, that means that locally you can cause the material to expand. So now we have the trick to use light to locally cause deformations. And that can be used to cause an object to change its shape, very similar to what a microorganism does when it swims through solution. How you can control and maneuver by using the light technology? Now, basically, one has the the luxury of putting all the control, which normally would be required onboard circuitry, control, timing, etc. You put all this in the light field. And light can be shaped and formed with very high precision. So basically what we can do is by using the right light patterns, we can illuminate uh, a whole area and every liquid crystal uh, elastomer that's in there, all our little micro swimmers, will experience these light fields and will change their shape. So it's a very convenient way of putting the control into the light field and that allows you then to d let these micro swimmers make many different kinds of uh, body shape changes and swim in very different ways. What could be the practical applications behind the micro swimmer? Yeah, so this work was of a very fundamental nature because what we are interested in is to understand uh, once how do biological systems actually locomote, how do they swim, how do they propel, and then to find out what are uh, engineering ways of how we can transform this into objects that we can move ourselves. So the main focus here is really to um, understand the basics and uh, this particular kind of uh, micro swimmer, really the, the, the key is that we wanted to prove that we can make a body shape changing swimmer that is of the same size as very small microorganisms. Now, if one thinks about application, one will probably uh, also think about other forms of actuation that are easier to implement uh, for an application. To which extent could the microsummer be a effective solution for biomedical applications? Uh, well, if one is mainly interested in, in the potential of biomedical applications, then most likely one will choose other ways of actuating microsummers. However, uh, polymers or molecules that interact with light could be very, very interesting for basically end effectors or actuators that you could place, for instance, at the tip of an endoscope or that you use as a uh, hinge or, or a lever arm. So I would think that light actuation has some potential. However, a freely swimming microswimmer that is powered by light um, is probably less general and less easy to implement than, for instance, actuation with magnetic fields. In your research, you have developed another technology called nanopropels. Could you tell us more about it? 
Yeah, so the, the nano propellers, one really has to picture basically a very, very small corkscrew, a corkscrew that is just something like a micron, and we can even make them smaller, we can make them 100 nanometers. So um, they are incredibly small, they're probably the world's smallest drills that you can make. And for this, we use nanofabrication methods, we go into a vacuum chamber where we heat material and then we condense this material on a substrate that we have prepared and then with small little nanoparticles and then we rotate the substrate and then we can grow these propellers, these nanopropellers. And to picture this, if you were to hold a small little disc, a wafer that is maybe two inch diameter, we can grow um, tens to hundreds of billions of them. So many, many of them. And we can then take them and we can sonicate this. And that means we use them in an ultrasound bath and they will fall off and then we have them in solution. And each one of these little corkscrew propellers has a small little magnetic moment. And that allows a magnetic field that rotates to make the little propellers spin. But of course they now spin without having anyone to hold them or touch them. And so we now have wireless drills. And these wireless drills we can now move through different media and one of our interests is to move through tissues. Is it applicable to make nanopropeller wireless? I mean it's actually very easy because the um, each little drill has a little magnetic moment, so it's like a tiny little magnet. And so all one needs to do is one needs to apply an external magnetic field to um, align the little tiny little magnet that sits in the tiny little drill. And by aligning the magnet in the drill, you align the drill. And if you rotate the magnetic field, the drill will start to spin. So it's very straightforward to uh, drive them in a contactless way through water. And we can basically write letters in in a few microns. We can write in 3D, we can drive them, we can steer them. The main challenge is to move them through more complicated and complex media. What is the design used for the magnetic actuation of nanopropellers? How you build the magnetic system, that's, that's, uh, there's a, a lot of freedom and there are different designs. But basically, if you want to steer in 3D, you must have the ability to direct your field, your magnetic field, in three spatial directions. So you need at least three axes along which you can project a magnetic field. Is there a side effect of using magnetic actuation for biomedical applications? No. I mean, application of magnetic fields are common practice. If you go into a magnetic resonance imaging device, you will be exposed to very, very strong magnetic fields, much, much stronger than what we use, and it has no ill effect. So the magnetic fields are very benign and they're very weak and there's really no um, effect on human tissue and human organs. What are the challenges that faces your nanopropeller project? Yeah, so the, the challenge is to make them move through realistic media. Realistic media now are clearly some kind of tissue or to cross an interface. And that is really also a challenge for the field in general because this is in the human body or in any living organism is very challenging because the tissue is a difficult, complex 
environment that varies a lot on where you are. So uh, a lot of our research is trying to figure out tricks from chemistry and physics that we can use to make this a lot easier. For instance, recently we've worked on making these drills smaller and smaller and smaller, so small that they can go in between the molecular networks that are formed in a tissue. So basically make them small enough so that they experience less resistance and can be more easily moved. And these kind of tricks will allow the propulsion through these more complex media. And we already had some success. We've managed to go through mucus, that slime. We're able to make them incredibly small. We can drive them through the uh, vitreous of the eye without them getting stuck. And so this kind of research will allow them to hopefully um, be efficiently delivered to places that one wants to go to. For testing your technology, you have developed Smart Oregon's Phantom. Could you please tell us more about how you can manufacture methantons that could mimic the behavior of free human organs? Uh, this is something that happened because we wanted, we made some devices, we made some very small devices that basically are smaller than the current endoscopes that are being used and we wanted uh, to test them. And um, we thought it's good to have a, a phantom to test them. And we realized that the phantoms that we can get are really poor, really bad, and they're not very, uh, they don't have very um, good structural uh, fidelity and they are made out of very hard materials and they, they feel wrong and they don't, they don't look right. And so that uh, prompted us to try and um, develop methods and we've succeeded in finding a, a method that, that we've developed that allows us to build phantoms that have the correct 3D anatomy and that appear exactly the same way like the real organ depending on the imaging method that you use using medical imaging. So what we have uh, done is we've worked on a kidney model and we've now succeeded in getting a prostate model to work and uh, somehow there has been a lot of interest now and we've been contacted by uh, various medical fields and there is really a need for developing uh, some more realistic organ phantoms that can be used to train robots, to test medical devices, to train uh, surgeons, and so we're pursuing that as well. How you can design this material that has the same parameter as real human organs? So that's the trick. I mean, you don't want to use tissue that decays because, of course, your phantom needs to survive for longer, and, it, and at the same time, you want it to appear in the same way as a real organ does, for instance, in ultrasound. And that is a trick. So we're using the correct materials that have the right haptics, the right, the right feel, and the right imaging contrast. And so you also have to tune this depending on which organ you're using and which imaging modality you want to use. And so um, that is really a little bit the secret because a lot of these uh, 3D printing materials are generally have very high Young's modulus. They're very hard materials and they don't get this biological softness correct and they often also don't show correct um, imaging contrast. So that's what we're working on. So now we would like to know how you can use ultrasound to make complex shape and geometries and what is different from other approaches? Yes, so we are, we've become interested in ultrasound and, and what to do with it 
and uh, we have first of all wondered uh, people have used ultrasound and they have pushed cells around they've trapped cells uh, but we've kind of wondered why it isn't possible that you cannot move many cells and why you can't move them and put them into a complex shape so people want to make organoids they want to make uh, tumor models and for this they've realized that it's uh, sometimes not correct just to do planar type experiments doesn't get you the correct answer and you often have to really deal with a three-dimensional structure so we're wondering isn't why isn't there a way to place cells and things into a 3d shape and um, ultrasound seems like a very nice technique for this but uh, we discovered that the ways that can be used to make complex fields that would allow you to push these cells into a complex shape they didn't exist and so um, we were very fortunate um, that it was possible to uh, apply, to use a, a totally different approach, very different to what everybody else does, that uh, has the result that we can now start making really complex ultrasound fields. And this will be something that we will pursue because it will it promises that we can now make the kind of fields that could be also used put the cells in a complicated geometry and these kind of geometries will be very very useful and so we have also become very interested in ultrasound. What could be the practical application of using ultrasonic robotics? A lot of things that we can do with this. So I mean one thing is a that the fields are much more complex so that should also be useful for imaging because now you can use some of the tricks that are common in light but are never used in ultrasound by using for instance, structured illumination techniques. It could be used to miniaturize um, uh, for therapeutics. One sometimes needs to shape the ultrasound into a special form because you just want to hit a particular area in, in say, the brain or so. This requires complicated technology, but we can uh, shape this much more simply now, which would allow to miniaturize uh, actuators that can be used for therapeutics. And uh, we can use it to move particles and to move cells and so we think we can also use it for the fabrication of um, cell-based uh, structures and um, the uh, ultrasound is of course also interesting for actuation you can use it to um, drive things and so we're very much exploring the idea of uh, using these now much more sophisticated fields to drive objects particles in a controlled way so now we will go to the acoustic hologram. Could you please explain what is this technology? Yeah, what is an acoustic hologram? Yes, so uh, basically uh, an ultrasound or a sound wave in general that is, that is a wave that travels through a medium. And if you now use this wave and send it through a material in which the sound speed is different from the environment, then depending on the thickness of this material, the wave that comes out at the other end will have a different phase. Now, if you make a phase plate or a hologram, basically a disc, and that disc has different thickness at every point, it means at every point that the sound wave comes out at the other end, it will have a different phase. And so now you have um, a, a diffracted beam that at each position will have a different phase and these waves can all interfere together to form an image. 
So now you can basically, in analogy to what is done in optics, you can shape ultrasound. You can send this ultrasound through a phase plate and this allows to uh, get the wave to form a very nice interference pattern. And that is the image, and that image now is the um, holographic image that is much, much more complicated and more sophisticated than what was possible so far. Can this be used for robotics manipulation? Uh, you can use it for robotics because um, in, in robots you have to control them. And if it is an onboard, you have to put the control in the, in the outside field. And so far it was only really possible just to use uh, a sound wave and, and, and basically project the sound wave onto an object. But now you can do it much more interestingly. You can basically define the pressure at each point, you define the phase at each point. So you have uh, an enormous amount of control potential now that wasn't there before. Do you have the intention to develop Foxhoft robot? Yeah, we, we really um, spend a lot of our effort to come up with new actuation principles and in particular uh, soft and micro actuators because they are the key to building um, microsystems and especially ones that are not connected to the outside world. And so indeed we are very much interested in this and working on these kind of questions. What are the challenges that faces micro nanosystem technology in the long term? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a large number of challenges, and I think the problems have been known for a long time. But I think one of the keys is that one undertakes also some rather fundamental research, understands the physics and chemistry, and that really is the key here at very, very small length scales. And there can be some surprising answers that allow you to do things in a very different way than has been traditionally done. And I think this is really important at a small scale because it just behaves so differently than uh, what we're used to at uh, our everyday length scales. So I very much believe in uh, basic research and its ability to come up with entirely new ways of doing things. And I think that's needed here. And in the micro scale, there's always been clear that there is a, an enormous potential but I think some challenges are that there are now some real systems found where there is some actual for instance medical use that is demonstrated and that mostly is also accepted by the medical community so it isn't just uh, medicine for engineers but it's actually something that the medical community will like and that kind of challenge to meet that I think needs um, some fundamental research and some new approaches and that's something that we're very excited about. Is there intention to transfer the technologies you have developed to the industry sector? So we are of course open to this and there are some um, companies that license certain aspects of our IP. Now we mainly concentrate on the research side but it's very nice to see the transition from uh, the lab to the real world and so I encourage that and I think that's also necessary for the development because ultimately the implementation and the commercialization is much much better done by industry than it is in academia. Finally we would like to have a piece of advice to young academic researchers who are interested about micro nanosystem technology. I think it's a 
very it's an exciting field because it's very interdisciplinary and many things come together and uh, that can also be a danger because it could be an overwhelming number of topics and subjects and questions and so my advice is that in particular in this field that training in the real fundamentals is very very helpful if one understands the principles of uh, nanosystems then one can also come up with some nice applications and also new ways of doing things so i think as a student don't ignore the fundamentals because that'll be the um, knowledge that will take you forward once you actually then build systems and come up with new new ways of doing things at the end of our podcasting we would like to thank you and on behalf of our podcasting team Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And that's it for today. You can find more information and all our past episodes on our website at robohop.org forward slash podcast, where you can also find out more about our current Patreon campaign, in which we ask you, our listeners, to help us bring you the latest from some of the top robotics conferences around the world. Our current aim is to raise funds to allow us to cover the International Conference on Intelligent Robots, which is due to take place in Madrid later this year. Find out how you can support us at robohub.org forward slash podcast. As always, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye! Heal with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. <laughs>